Welcome to episode 14 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans and welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host Rob and we're recording this episode on Sunday, June 9th, 2019. I do want to take a moment just to welcome any new listeners to the show and if you are a returning listener, thank you again for coming back and uh, and giving us a listen. So uh, I do want to mention as well that next week, so June, the week of June 17th, I will not be uh, posting a show that week as I'm going to be out of town on vacation, but I will be picking up shows again the following week, the week of June 24th, and I'm already looking forward at some great possible topics for those shows, so I'll be looking forward to getting right back into it after I get back from vacation. This week's main topic was actually given to us by a co-worker and listener of the show, Jacob, who wanted to know a little bit more about stormtroopers and specifically uh, why they can't seem to hit anything that they shoot at. So in order really to understand the stormtroopers, you first have to start with the genesis of the stormtroopers within the Empire. Uh, and that actually took place even before the formation of the Empire during the Age of the Republic. And within that time frame, uh, many people are familiar with the events of the uh, prequel trilogy, the Phantom Menace and the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. So now if you haven't actually seen any of those prequel films or uh, any of the original trilogy films, for that matter, the information in this podcast is going to be a spoiler for you. Uh, but those films have been out there for quite some time, so I don't really anticipate that that's going to be an issue. Now, as it was related in those films, the formation of the Grand Army of the Republic was the work of Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas, who actually was a member of the Jedi High Council. And as it was recently revealed within the audiobook Dooku Jedi Lost, one of the Force abilities that Sifo-Dyas had was the ability to have Force visions, which would grant him foresight of events to come. And as it turns out, he had foreseen the coming war, uh, although not necessarily the details ar around how that was going to come about, and believed that the Republic was going to need an army in order to actually prevail within that uh, conflict. So he undertook this on his own. Uh, the other members of the Jedi High Council were against doing this and did not see the need for it. Now, interestingly enough, Master sifo actually had risen through the Jedi Order with Count Dooku. They were friends uh, when they were apprentices, and they rose up through the ranks together. So when Master sifo actually engaged the Kaminoans to create this Grand Army of the Republic, he unwittingly put himself square in the sights of the Sith, as at that time uh, Emperor Palpatine, or yet to become Emperor Palpatine, uh, who was also the Sith Lord Darth Sidious, had already taken on Count Dooku as his apprentice, uh, known as Darth Tyrannus, 
And they decided that they were actually going to be the ones that would take over the funding and be the masterminds behind the creation of this army to use in their grand plan uh, for the elimination of the Jedi. So they arranged for the death of Master Sifo-Dyas while on a mission for then-Chancellor Valorum, who we do see in the films. Now, with Tharsidius in place as the mastermind behind the creation of this Grand Army of the Republic, uh, one of the very first things that was done was that Jango Fett was selected to be the genetic template on which all these clone troopers would be based. And Jango Fett, uh, many people seem to believe that he is actually a Mandalorian. The fact is that while he wore Mandalorian armor, uh, he was just simply a human bounty hunter. The Mandalorian ruling council basically had denounced him as a pretender uh, and renegade and basically did not accept him as a Mandalorian. So he and his son, who was the the only thing that he really asked the Kaminoans for uh, while he was acting as the genetic template, was to have an unaltered clone of himself created who would be his son that we come to know as Boba Fett. And I've got a clip from Attack of the Clones that I will play here that gives a little bit more detail on what made these clones so special. Clones can think creatively. You will find that they are immensely superior to droids. We take great pride in our combat education and training programs. This group was created about five years ago. You mentioned growth acceleration. Oh yes, it's essential. Otherwise a mature clone would take a lifetime to grow. Now we can do it in half the time. I see. They are totally obedient, taking any order without question. We modified their genetic structure to make them less independent than the original host. And who was the original host? A bounty hunter called Jango Fett. And where is this bounty hunter now? Oh, we keep him here. Apart from his pay, which is considerable, Fett demanded only one thing. An unaltered clone for himself. Curious, isn't it? Unaltered? Pure genetic replication. No tampering with the structure to make it more docile. And no growth acceleration. I should very much like to meet this Django Fett. I would be very happy to arrange it for you. So as that clip alluded to, Django Fett had all of the skills and abilities that would make a perfect commando, a perfect trooper. So the creation of the Grand Army of the Republic began... And those clone troopers actually were the end result, and they fought on behalf of the Republic during the Clone Wars. Now, one of the things that actually worked out very well for Darth Sidious in the process of having these clone troopers created was that by having the body of the army and all of the subspecialties within that army, they had ARC troopers, which were basically uh, advanced recon commandos. They had clone commandos. They had your standard troopers. Uh, pilots. They basically had every flavor of troop that you could want. But generally, when those clones went into battle, they went into battle under the command of a Jedi general or commander. And what that served to do was that it was making the Jedi responsible for, and in many cases, formed attachments with the clone, clone troopers under their command. We definitely see that with Anakin in the films. We definitely see that with Obi-Wan in the films. Uh, and that was generally something where when the time came to execute Order 66, when you watch that play out in Revenge of the Sith, 
you have Jedi who have fought alongside these clones for years who have grown to trust them implicitly. And generally, these these clones are typically at their back. So they were in a perfect position to eliminate the Jedi. And the way that Darth Sidious masterminded that was by implanting a control chip within the brain of each of those clone troopers that made it physically impossible for them to resist carrying out Order 66. Now, with the execution of Order 66 and essentially the decimation of the Jedi Order, that ushered in the age of the First Galactic Empire, as declared by then Emperor Palpatine. And as a result, those clone troopers who had previously served within the Grand Army of the Republic became the first members of the Stormtrooper Corps for the Imperial military. Now, as the Empire brought more and more planets under its control and clone troopers acting as stormtroopers were killed in action or aged to the point where they were forced out of active service and uh, into training at one of the Imperial Academies, uh, there was no longer a need to keep cloning stormtroopers. Uh, There was no threat of the Jedi that really stood as a massive threat to the Empire at that time. There is some downstream consequences of that that we will get to in a little bit. But in regards to the creation of new stormtroopers, instead of cloning them, uh, the operation on Camp uh, Camino was gradually shut down by the Empire, and they just began conscripting human men and women from the various planets that were under the Empire's control and brought them in and basically conditioned them as stormtroopers. Now, given that the stormtroopers were the shock troopers of the Imperial military, and they were no longer being cloned to compel compliance with commanding officers' orders, The stormtrooper cadets basically had to undergo very long and arduous training. Uh, They were trained to disregard when comrades fell in battle. They were conditioned to press on regardless of the odds and at any cost to achieve their goal. And more importantly, they went through an additional regiment of reconditioning to essentially dehumanize them, which is largely why uh, many stormtroopers that you see within the films are referred to by their operating number. It's, It's just another way of dehumanizing them and making them part of the Imperial War Machine instead of actual individuals. Regarding uh, the people who were actually allowed into the Stormtrooper Corps, the Emperor was actually uh, very xenophobic and very anti-alien. So the Stormtroopers were made up of human men and women. Uh, He did allow women within the Stormtrooper Corps. And again, they were conditioned to just basically be focused on the objective and to win at any cost. Now, ironically, one of the interesting things about Stormtrooper training is certainly during the training process, they were trained in firing both uh, blaster pistols as well as their E-11 blaster carbines. And it was noted that the typical accuracy rate for an Imperial Stormtrooper was approximately 77%. Uh, what's funny about that is that when we see them within the original trilogy, most most notably, they are incredibly bad at hitting the things that they aim at, despite the fact that in episode four, you've got Obi-Wan when they come across the sand crawler that had clearly been uh, attacked. And it was theorized by Luke that uh, there was sand people that had attacked it. Obi-Wan basically told him. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. Now, that quote is actually pretty frightening, because if the Stormtroopers were that terrible at hitting the things they aimed at, I can only imagine how bad the Sand People's aim was. Now, of course, from that point on in the original trilogy, I don't think we see a Stormtrooper hit a single thing that they're aiming at. 
Uh, there's really no explanation given in canon for why the Imperial Stormtroopers were so poor at actually hitting their targets, whether it was an issue with their aim, whether it was something else that was impacting them. Uh, it's never really explained, and hopefully we'll get some uh, light shed on that at some point in the future. Now, there are two other important things to note when talking about Stormtrooper training. The first is that one of the major events that occurred for cadets who were training uh, at the Imperial Academies to become Stormtroopers was that they all underwent a simulated obstacle course, which was known as the Well, and that was designed to test their strength, their agility, their reflexes, and, and their intelligence. <laughs> Cadets, you are descending into the well and must climb out with all deliberate speed. You'll be given the honor of serving as aides in Imperial headquarters. Those who lose will be serving Taskmaster Grit and wish they'd stayed at the bottom of that well. The assessment begins in four, three, two. How exactly are we going up? One! Failure is not acceptable. This empire has no use for weakness. So as time went on, they would run the well against increasingly difficult conditions, and they were held highly accountable for any losses within that training simulation. The other thing that occurred during their training as cadets was that the officers had all been instructed to keep an eye on those stormtrooper cadets, and if any were showing high levels of performance that might be an indication of an affinity for the Force, they were to report that to their superiors. Because, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, Emperor Palpatine they had a program that was called Project Harvester, and those stormtroopers that exhibited an affinity for the Force were taken by the Grand Inquisitor, who basically ran that training program, and forcibly inducted into that to become dark side users uh, that would be used to track down and eliminate any living Jedi. Now, with regards to the specialization of stormtroopers, there were a number of different types of stormtroopers who existed within the Star Wars universe. Uh, obviously, we've got the Coastal Defender stormtroopers, or they're also called Shore Troopers, who we see on Scarif in the events of Rogue One. You've got cold weather assault stormtroopers who were basically the snow troopers that you would see on Hoth. Death troopers who were also from Rogue One who were the stormtroopers that wore the black armor and were accompanying Director Krennic around. And again, there are a number of different types of stormtroopers within the Star Wars universe. Um, we won't go into all of them here, but I just wanted to point out a few of the more common ones or the more specialized ones. And the final Stormtrooper that actually uh, is a tie-in for the new Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order video game that's coming out this November are the Purge Troopers. So these are, again, an elite type of Stormtrooper with heavy black armor. And these Purge Troopers actually would accompany the Inquisitors in their missions to track down and eliminate Jedi. Now, with the fall of the Emperor uh, within the events of Return of the Jedi... Uh, the stormtroopers became a lot more decentralized as the Empire broke up into a lot of component parts. They were typically under the control of various regional governors and moths, and the largest uh, portion of them eventually formed up and took part in the Battle of Jakku, which was really the end of the Empire, the First Galactic Empire as we know it, and led to the rise of the New Republic. So with the rise of the New Republic, uh, the remaining forces of the Empire were forced to sign a treaty that required them to disarm and pay reparations to the Republic 
Uh, unfortunately, the New Republic chose not to really enforce any of that, which led to the formation of the First Order, uh, which we see in The Force Awakens and uh, The Last Jedi. And basically, these stormtroopers that arose within the New Order were even more dangerous than those that had been created in the First Galactic Empire. So while the stormtroopers in the original Empire uh, were trained to be unfailingly obedient and to basically just forge forward in combat toward their objective, the First Order stormtroopers were actually trained to apply some uh, critical thinking to their missions, and thus they were far more adaptable than the original stormtroopers were and far more capable of actually completing their missions if things went wrong, which they invariably would. And of course, it goes without saying that the First Order stormtroopers were far more effective in combat. Uh, you've got shock troopers that are able to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat against lightsaber wielders and defeat them. Granted, of course, Finn was not an actual Jedi. Uh, and they were far more efficient uh, at carrying out their missions and in serving their purpose of really defeating the forces that were arrayed against them. Now, of course, the First Order Stormtroopers, as we've already mentioned, were far more effective than the Stormtroopers that were around at the time of the First Galactic Empire. And one of the reasons for that was when the First Order decided to start training their Stormtrooper Corps, the person in charge of that, a, a general named Brendel Hux, who was the father of Armitage Hux, who we see within The Force Awakens as Snoke's minion and a constant thorn in the side of Kylo Ren, uh, basically took the approach that in order for Stormtroopers to be as effective as they needed to be, they needed to be taken at birth and trained to become Stormtroopers. So that differed greatly from the approach that the First Galactic Empire took, where they were actually conscripting these people as uh, in their late teens or in their adult years, and then training them from that point. Uh, these First Order Stormtroopers were truly programmed from birth to become the perfect warrior, and that is what put them on the same level as the Clone Troopers, who we see within the prequel films and who are really taken from a genetic template of the perfect soldier. So that should really give you an overview of who the Stormtroopers are and kind of how they progressed from the time of the prequel trilogy with the Clone Troopers and the creation of the Grand Army of the Republic all the way up to the First Order and their Stormtroopers. And unfortunately, while it doesn't really explain why the Stormtroopers that were involved with the First Galactic Empire were such terrible shots, does serve to compare and contrast the different styles of uh, different approaches to the training of the troopers and to their effectiveness in battle. Now, this week's news story, uh, which actually really dovetails nicely with this discussion, is that uh, EA and Respawn had released this week their first actual gameplay footage from the new Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order video game that's coming out this November. And this is a nice tie-in because this video game essentially follows the story arc of a young Jedi named Cal Kestis. And he is one of the sole survivors of the Jedi Order after the Purge and Order 66. And as this player, uh, you're essentially trying to stay below the radar and survive while you've got Inquisitors and Purge Troopers tracking you down. So with the gameplay footage that they released this week, uh, it all takes place on the planet of Kashyyyk. And uh, Cal has been tasked by Saw Gerrera, who's a character that we're familiar with from the Star Wars films, specifically Rogue One and some of the animated series, uh, with releasing, uh, with tracking down and uh, breaking free a group of Wookiees that are being held on the planet of Kashyyyk by the Imperials. 
What's really cool about this video game uh, is that while it is really from the perspective of Cal Kestis, it's nice that they've got some tie-ins to some other classic Star Wars characters that we're at least relatively familiar with, uh, if you've seen any of the films. And the gameplay for it looks really incredible. There's some Force abilities that have typically not been uh, dis put on display in past video games, specifically a Force Slow, similar to what Kylo Ren uses in the events of The Force Awakens when he stops the blaster bolt that Poe launches at him. And using this type of a mechanic, you have the ability to slow down opponents, you have ability to slow down blaster fire, you have ability to slow down objects within the world. And of course, it's a Star Wars game. Uh, it wouldn't be a Star Wars game without an adorable droid counterpart. And in this case, Cal has a droid called BD-1, so basically his buddy droid. And that droid is used within the video game to unlock or override security terminals, open doors, etc. Um, and serves as another classic example of Star Wars and the amazing job that they do in really giving a personality to an inanimate object or an object that uh, otherwise should not be displaying any human behavior. So while it was only about 14 minutes of footage, uh, you really do get a good feel for how the gameplay works. Unfortunately, you don't really get to see Cal uh, come up against an Inquisitor, but you do get to see him come up against a Purge Trooper. And this is definitely a type of Stormtrooper that is much more skilled than your standard Stormtrooper. This video game is taking place at a time after the Jedi Purge and before the events of the original trilogy. So you are getting a chance to see some of what happens with the war materials uh, from the Grand Army of the Republic. Uh, actually, one of the first things you see in the original trailer is Cal is uh, working on breaking down one of the Venator Star Destroyers that the clones would have used. There's an arc fighter from the Clone Wars that you see within one of the shots in the trailer. So it's very much steeped in the the days of, of that uh, fall of the Republic, or the fall of the Jedi Order specifically, as per the title of the video game. And it really looks like it's going to be an excellent game. So looking forward to that. Can't wait to see what else they turn out with that. And um, hopefully it lives up to its expectations. But other than that, we really don't have a lot of news this week. There's still a lot of news stories coming out about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, uh, specifically one related to the fact that uh, within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, when you are getting kyber crystals within Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, uh, the kyber crystals that are in the red container where guests are thinking that they're getting a red kyber crystal, there are very rare black crystals that occasionally show up in those. So if you are someone who's going to be out there visiting Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you're interested in a black kyber crystal, they are very rare, but they do exist and you can potentially get those uh, within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's going to be kind of a random chance, uh, but definitely check that out if you're interested in that. And finally, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we are not going to have an episode next week. So the week of June 17th, there will be no episode of this show. But if you're looking for some good Star Wars content, I would encourage you to go out and check out the Hyperion Adventures podcast. Uh, Tom Howell is the host of that podcast, along with his wonderful wife, Michelle. And uh, Tom is the one who joins me on this podcast most weeks. But they have been doing a series called Star Wars Remembered, and I've been guesting on that. So if you would like to go check that out and uh, give them a review, that would be wonderful as well. They're both great Star Wars and Disney fans, and uh, they do put on a very nice podcast. So with that, I think we're really going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, I do appreciate you finding us and giving us a listen. 
Uh, We can be found on basically any major podcast platform. So if you have friends that are looking for new Star Wars content to listen to, please feel free to put us out there to them. Uh, Give us a review if you'd be so kind and you enjoyed this episode. Uh, If you would like to send in ideas for future shows, uh, we can be reached at jtapodcast at gmail.com and also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at jtapodcast. So thanks so much. Hope you guys have a great week. Again, we will be returning the week of June 24th with another show. So give us a listen, tell a friend, and may the force be with you.